Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Coming up on In Flight Snack, we have a great episode for you today. Uh, we have a huge interview with AJ Vanercheck, who is an NFL agent and has just a huge Jets fan. So we had a really fun time talking all things sports, all things Jets, New York sports, and other things with him. That was a really fun conversation. And then we previewed the Jets-Broncos game. This is a must-win game. We say this every week, but this is a must-win game for the Jets going into Denver, a team they should beat. So we broke it down. And then we listened and we answered your questions. Listener questions. We did that at the end of this episode as well. So that and a whole lot more coming up next on In-Flight Snack. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way through the college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V. Bet Online, where the game starts. Looks left, throws into the end zone. Caught! Alan Lazard! That's a jet touchdown! A rifle shot from Zach Wilson. He finds Lazard. It's a toss with Powell. He's got the angle. He's got blockers. Powell working the sidelines. Powell goes all the way. Touchdown, Jets. Let's make sure we play like the New York Jets. Let's go to eat a damn snack. Welcome back to In Flight Snack, a New York Jets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. That's Bilal Powell. I'm Rami Lavi, and we have an incredible episode for you today. We have a great interview coming up with AJ Vanercheck, who is actually an NFL agent, represents a couple guys on the Jets. He's also the co-founder of one of the largest media empires in the country, and he's a huge Jets fan. So we had an awesome conversation with him. We'll get to that. But before we get to that, I wanted to start here because even... This is just typical Jets. This is what the Jets do. You know, the first game of the season, and I know you joined on the first Thursday after that Monday night game, but they won. They had this crazy win against Buffalo, and yet it felt like a loss because Rodgers gets hurt for the year, and it feels like all the expectations, all the hope is down the drain. And then the Jets haven't won a game since, and yet on Monday after Sunday night's game against Kansas City, it felt like the happiest we ever were on a podcast because Zach Wilson didn't look like poop 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, hey, he actually looks good. And so it's typical Jets that when it's terrible, we're like, when it's when it's amazing, when they win, it's like, oh my God, this is the worst. And when they lose, it's like, hey, this is not that bad. It's just, this is being a Jets fan, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, obviously with a, with a loss like that, I, I'll tell you the emotions that are going through uh, some of the players in the locker room after that after that defeat. You are so dream when you lose a close game to a good team like that. Like it's it's more draining to to lose a close game, which I know a few of those guys wish they had those plays back. It's just more draining to lose a close game knowing you were this close to beating the the defending Super Bowl champions than to go out and get beat by 40 points. Because you knew you you put everything out on the line, you did everything that was in the game plan, and you probably go back to the mishaps of that game. But like you said, it's it's just like my entire career, I just felt like it was the same old saying, the same old Jets. Why isn't the ball bouncing our way? And I think I think we got a glimpse of where we were headed. Now I think they found they found Zach Zach Wilson's niche. They found what fits him and what molds him. And now I think they have an opportunity to run off with some games. Yeah, I definitely think so. But you talked about that feeling. Is it demoralizing? Are you now going into Denver, a team that you definitely should be because they're worse, but you're so bogged down from the fact that you felt like you were so close to beating Kansas City that now it's going to affect you in the following week? No, not at all. I think you use this as momentum. Kansas City is a good team, a good football team. And we have to sit here and think to ourselves as fans, as as spectators that we we came back from a team that jumped up 17-0 in the first quarter with very good yeah. football players and a very good head coach over there, a, a offensive guru. And for our defense to settle down and for our offense to settle down, I think you use that momentum going into Denver. So we'll move ahead to Denver week in a little bit. But before we get to Denver week, just a couple things to clean up from Kansas City and some headlines from this week. Starting with Patrick Mahomes, who went on local radio in Kansas City. I don't have the the name of the radio station in front of me. I do apologize. But he talked about what happened on that play with the holding. And it's kind of the same thing he said after the Super Bowl, where he said, I saw the bump. I saw the contact. So I'm Patrick Mahomes. I just threw it up. We talked about this on the podcast on Monday. Like he just threw it up. The throw was outside the numbers. That that could have been potentially not a catchable ball. He said, no, I saw the contact. I knew if I threw it up, I'd probably get a flag. So the point is there was the contact while he was still holding the ball. Then he throws it up. The ball gets picked and then the flag comes out. And Patrick Mahomes all but admitted that that's basically what he did. He said, I'm Patrick Mahomes. I knew if I throw it up and there was a little bit of contact beforehand, I'll get a call. I think I think I think Patrick was thinking very smart in that situation. He was thinking situational and it was a big risk because that could have been a no call and that could have been a, the, the, the changing pace of that entire game. The rest of that game. Now, to me, I see that as having football IQ because there's a lot of things that you're going through as a player during a snap it looks a lot slower on tv than it is live so for him to even process that in his mind with the game on the line lets you know what kind of iq that patrick mahomes have now it was risky i didn't think the ball was catchable you know i think i think they should have let that play or discuss that um further before they just decided to say hey that was a pass interference or a holding whatever it was 
we all, you know, we can sit here and talk about it and, and wish we can have that game back yep. as, as, a, as a fan base. But, you know, it's the savvy I was talking about in a veteran. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, that's what you want from your veteran quarterbacks. Yeah, and Patrick Mahomes does that better than anyone. And he's at that point now. He's at the Brady point. He's at the Rodgers point where you get those calls. So speaking of quarterbacks like that, Aaron Rodgers was on Pat McAfee again this week. And he's making more headlines because what would be the 2023 New York Jets if we're not talking about Aaron Rodgers the entire season, even though he's only played four snaps for this team, we still have to talk about him every single week. So he went on McAfee. He was on for 49 minutes with Pat McAfee, which is just mind-blowing. I listened to the whole thing. I'll just give you some of the key headlines. And the main one is he said he's not looking for a miracle. Just because something hasn't been done before doesn't mean it can't be done. And he said, that's not a miracle. That's just manifestation and it's prayer and it's working, finding different angles. And what he's referring to is the possibility of him coming back this season, which sounds insane. But then you look at the details and you're like, most people, it takes them six weeks to be in a boot. He was in a shoe out of the boot in 12 days. This guy's having an historically fast recovery. It looks like you saw him walking around on the field during pregame. He looks good. Is it possible that this guy's actually going to make a comeback at some point this season? It's a possibility. I, I remember in year eight, uh, week six versus the Minnesota Vikings, I go down with a neck injury. And this this time I knew that it was serious. And I got the news that it was either career ending or possibly getting a surgery and then having a 70% chance recovery. The success was 70%. As a running back, in my eighth year, going into my ninth year, you're thinking, I'm done. It's over. And then when you hear one of the best surgeons telling you that the recovery time is nine to 12 months, you're, I'm looking at it as like, man, I didn't get my, I didn't have my surgery until November. So I'm thinking 12 months is going to put me in November. No one's going to pick me up going into my ninth year with a neck injury. Well, I ended up healing in four and a half months. No one could believe it. Four and a half months, I was healed. I even I had to get an approved letter from the NFL that I was I was healed. I went on to my second opinion. I was healed. I had a phone call with the doctor, and he was shocked. He said, "You're a you're a healing machine, a healing machine." And I, he didn't want to release me until six months because he couldn't believe that I was healed. But like Aaron, and what I'm thinking, Aaron is doing. He's doing everything possible to get better. He's doing everything possible in his mind to get better, to return. You have to do that. I was on a STEM unit for six hours every day just to get back. I was taking all of my vitamins. I was eating properly. I was doing all these things to get back. So I'm sure Aaron Rodgers has some kind of trick up his sleeve right now of how he's going to heal if he's putting that out right now. He's trying to get back. But my biggest question to you, Rami, is if he does come back and Zach Wilson is playing good football, do you replace him? Because now we have to go back to this Aaron Rodgers style of offense. Now I think Nathaniel Hackett has found the niche and the style that fits Zach Wilson in that offense. Is that going to be an interruption? It's a point I wanted to get to because it's, it, it is a great point because Aaron Rodgers is this team that, and, it, and it's so funny because he did a complete 180 from last week, calling out the former players and all that stuff to this week, talking about talking up the team and, you know, showing leadership and showing how he's fighting to come back even at 39 years old, soon to be 40 years old. I, I think it's, it's a weird scenario. Look, here's the three scenarios I wrote down for myself. Why would you bring Aaron Rodgers back? So if they're winning, 
right? And all of a sudden, they they rattled off a bunch of wins, and Zach Wilson is playing great. Makes no sense to go to Rodgers, who might be rusty, who might be still a little bit hurt. Makes no sense to go to him. Sure, put him on the sideline, see what happens, but why would you go to him, especially if the team is comfortable in that offense like you talked about? If they're losing, why risk a Rodgers injury? Say, hey, come back fully healthy next year. We're not making the playoffs this year. We'll figure it out. The only scenario that it makes sense to bring in an Aaron Rodgers is if you win enough games that you're still relevant in the playoff chase, but Zach Wilson is not the reason you're winning, but you're winning in spite of him. Kind of like they did a lot of last year, right? The beginning of last year, Zach Mm -hmm. Wilson started off, what, five and two as a starter. And most of those wins were not really because of Zach Wilson, but the defense, the run game, different reasons surrounding Zach Wilson, and he didn't have to do much. So if it's similar to that, then I could see them bringing in Aaron Rodgers, and that's the only case I would bring in Aaron Rodgers. I agree. I totally agree. I think if they're rolling, there's no reason to to stop that momentum. You know what I mean? Like, honestly. And I get why he wants to be back this year. And, you know, he talked, you talked about fast healing. You, You can speak to this better than I can. For us, for regular human beings like myself and the listeners, look, we don't understand the athlete body, what it's capable of and what you train yourselves to do, what you guys put yourselves through on a daily basis so that when you have an injury like this, your body does heal faster than the average person. So he also talks about though different things, the power of manifestation. How much do you believe in that? How much do you believe in him just trying to put himself in the best mental space and convince himself that, hey, I can manifest this into happening? That's what I do. I, you know, I have a faith. You know, I prayed every night with my family, my my my, my kids, my wife, every day, every day. Um, I think I think it's about the, the the mental. I think the mental is the most important part. The first part of healing when you're talking about the body is the mind. So you know, I think if you continue to speak victory into yourself, then you you start to see your life go in a different direction. You can you know we live we live a majority of our life in our heads. So if you believe that you're going to come back, I think there's a there's a, a a bigger percentage or a chance of you coming back speaking positive than speaking negative. Uh, look, I, I can't argue that. So what we're going to do now is we're going to throw it to a quick break and then we're going to come back with our interview with AJV. AJ Vanacek was an awesome interview. We recorded it on Tuesday. So stay tuned for that coming up in a minute. Last thing on Rogers, though, and I just love this because I, I love J.K. Dobbins. I think he's an awesome kid and Rogers did talk about that he's working out with JK and and that they're motivating each other. And you could probably speak to this also. How helpful is it to have someone to lean on, someone else who's there going through it with you? Uh, it's, it's, it's like a brotherhood, honestly. I mean, I think this entire league, this sport, uh, you know, you build relationships that probably will last forever. Honestly, the, you know, this, this experience for JK Dobbins probably gave him a lifelong friend that they can... You know what I mean? Have a story for the rest of his life. And and who knows what opportunity comes from this uh, for J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, Rodgers comes back and then he's like, hey, we need a second running back. I know a kid from Baltimore who's recovering. He's probably not mm-hmm. going to get picked up there. Hey, come to the yeah. Jets. You, you don't have to pay him much. You yeah, know, exactly. You know what Just what I mean? try it out. That kid, the one thing, he hasn't been able to stay on the field. But when he's on the field, that kid is a fantastic running back. And he's a good kid to have in the room. All right. We're going to throw it to a quick break, and then we're going to come back with our awesome interview with AJ Vanacek. Stay tuned. It's awesome. Coming up right now. All right. Joining us now is a very special guest, AJ V. Do do you go by AJ V? Is it AJ Vanacek? How does that work? So because my brother has really built the Gary V with the double E moniker, um, I don't really go by it. But what's tricky is like all my social media handles – for the most part, are a big flex. There are only three letters. It's the AJ and the V. So I love it. 
you know, VEE and just the letter V sounds the same. So I'll go by AJV, just not, I don't promote it that way. I don't go by that construct. That's my brother's jam. He got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I appreciate you it doing works, this. Though. Yeah, yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Um, I, I just want to start here because we talked about this right before we were on about how we're all big Jet fans, obviously. Bilal became a Jet fan when he got drafted by the team. Sorry, Bilal, in 2011. I was born into it. My dad grew up on Long Island, a huge Jets fan. I feel like every Jets fan has their origin story, though. So what was yours? Was it something as a kid? Did you Were you a huge Jets fan from the time you were a kid? What's that like for you? So I'll go back to the aforementioned older brother of mine. Um, I didn't have a choice. Me and Bilal are similar. He didn't pick the Jets and neither did I. I was brainwashed into it. I, uh, you know, Gary's 11 years older than I am. And my, my parents being immigrants from the former Soviet Union um, and still only less than 10 years in America, didn't really have any sports allegiances to teams. And so my brother picked up his fandom from a childhood friend who was a neighbor and my brother is a fanatic, as I think it's well documented. And so literally from birth, I was a Jet fan. It's all I knew. And for me, I never had a reason to resist it outside of maybe some bad years, a lot of bad years. Uh, but, you know, it was it's it's a huge aspect of the quality time my brother and I have spent together and get to spend together. And um yeah, it's directly tied to that. And yeah, I grew up a diehard fan. We went to all the games. We went to the NFL draft a bunch of years in a row. Sometimes we made it on camera. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I tracked it closely and it was a passion for me. Hey, Gary, so, so in a perfect world, would you, would you love to see the New York Jets still in Long Island and be in their own stadium and not sharing a stadium with the New York Giants? Yeah, I mean, for me growing up, the fact that the Jets shared a stadium was definitely a headache for the fandom. Um, you know, when I was in middle school and high school, it was called Giant Stadium, let alone MetLife. And so that's tough, right? Um, I I had a lot of love, ironically, for the project that ended up actually being where now the Vayner Media and Vayner Sports offices, which is Hudson Yards, I was on board like crazy to put that stadium in Manhattan. I understand why from like an urban planning and economic perspective, it made no sense, but the fan of me loved that. Um, I think having your own stadium is dope. Um, Long Island is the strongest region for jet fandom. I grew up in middle nowhere, New Jersey, and 95% of my peers were giant fans. So um, yeah, I, I would have energy for that. I think it'd be dope. I'm the same way. I grew up in Bergen County. And so, right, everyone's a giant fan around there. But my dad's from Long Island. That's how you become. They practiced out there. I yep. think what makes the most sense now is Steve Cohen is building that. They're building that soccer field. They're building a whole infrastructure in Queens. I mean, that's kind of I don't think they should be building it in the city because I drive kind of that area. Hudson Yards every day. No, I don't want to be there. Uh, no. yeah. yeah. But Queens, what do you think of that option? I think it's a real option. That's up to team ownership to decide. But I think it's a real option. You mentioned your brother. You mentioned team ownership. There's some rumors about that, him being interested in that. What are your feelings about that? Support it fully. That's a way down the line, though. You need He he does well for himself. He needs to do much better uh, in the next <laughs> 15 okay. to 20 years to make that a reality. But, but he's not going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we'll see. Man, AJ, um, you know, I was, I was telling Rami, you know, I, I joined the team, the Vayner sports team. And... Uh, 
later on in my career, man, I, honestly, just looking back on it, uh, I had I had the option to do it early on, man. Didn't know you guys were doing it. We fell across the opportunity. Man, you guys brought me in, and it's been nothing but love, man. So, you know, for me, I think, you know, I'm trying to stay away from Gary because, we're, you know, we brought you in. Uh, what is what is it like, man? Like, when did you see this this thing taking off, this Vayner Sports thing taking off? And what is it like uh, representing uh, multiple clients in, in multiple sports? Yeah, it, um, it honestly is the culmination of where I wanted my career to be as a kid, right? Like growing up as a kid, diehard Jeff fan, also diehard Knicks fan. Those were my two teams growing up. And uh, I was the kid that not only liked to watch the game, but then was also very interested in what goes, what happens from a team building, what happens from a business perspective to get you from, you know, the day after the Super Bowl to the first regular season game. So things like the draft, things like free agency, and so, you know, I played a lot of Madden growing up, but 5% of it was the actual football game. And 95% of it was uh, me pretending I, I actually just got off the phone with my guy, Mike Tannenbaum. Like I wanted to be Mike Tannenbaum, right? I was the general manager and I, I made sure that Bilal Powell started at running back and then I had to get him an offensive line. And you know what I mean? For real though, yeah. like I was franchise moded out. I, before becoming an agent, attended the NFL draft five or six times, was lucky when I was growing up. It was right in New York City. Um, free agency was important. I watched When I watched college football, I didn't have a college football team. I watched college football to see who would become a Jet so that if mm. a player got drafted by the Jets, I was already familiar with their game and excited about it. So um, just because I grew up with business, sports and business are my two biggest passions and running a sports agency is the combination of those two things. And so, yeah, it's it's incredible. And I, um, I've been very fortunate to have been doing it for about almost eight years now. Uh, we're in football, baseball, basketball, mixed martial arts and gaming. And yeah, it's great. And, you know, I've, I've been able to help clients achieve their dreams, you know, things like getting drafted or signing a big free agent contract. And, and in a lot of ways, helping them reach their dreams is helping me reach mine too. So you talked about kind of, that background. I agree with you. I think the best sports video game to build your own team was MVP Baseball 2005, but I could be wrong. I, that's what I think was the Amazing best one. Game. Yes. Amazing game. The best one because also you could build the stadium. You could build everything start to finish. It was that, that game was just a masterclass. Even like the bullshit, like batting practice mode where you get hit the lawnmower yes. with the bullseye on it. I was also, when that game came out, I was a freshman in college. So it was just perfect timing i had all the time in the world i played the shit out of that game also there was two or three pitchers that threw like a 47 mile per hour knuckle curve it was unhittable i think uh God, who were, anyway i digress tim Great wakefield game. was uh probably one of them rest in peace, rest in so, peace. Uh, yeah uh but you mentioned that how do you turn that from being a kid i played that game too to then turning that into a career like when did you realize oh this is going to be something that really happens for me you know it wasn't it was something I thought about when I was younger and something that I wanted, um, but it wasn't naturally where I went right out of school. You know, for me, I'm 36 now, so this is almost 15 years ago, and my like values and my priorities have changed substantially, as it does for everybody, right? I'm somebody that went from being 17, 18, you know, coming out of school, no, no, you know, real responsibility, nothing like that, to now being in my mid thirties, married with three kids, like all that. And so 
my priorities have shifted. But when I was when I was coming out of college, I mean, 21, 22, not 17, 18, but you know what I mean? When I was coming out of college, um, I really had a one-track mindset. I just wanted to make as much money as possible. I didn't care what the work was. I was fully committed to working whatever it took, how much ever time it took, um, just as long as I thought there was really big upside. And so my career started with starting VaynerMedia, the ad agency my brother and I started right out of school. And that first year, you know, I worked, I worked 12 to 15 hours a day, five days a week. And then probably, you know, I put in another five to 10 hours over the weekend, you know, two or three hours a day kind of thing. And that was the first year. And then the second year was more like 60, 70 hour work weeks. And then that was kind of where it stayed for a while. But, you know, so that's where my mindset was. So becoming a sports agent, running a sports agency wasn't on the radar because frankly, I just didn't think that the economics were near where I wanted them to be, et cetera, et cetera. Worked super hard, um, caught some luck, executed great. We built a really big business with VaynerMedia. That's still a really big business that my brother's still the CEO of. And um, I left about eight years ago. And when I left, it wasn't on the radar either. It's not like I left to go start a sports agency. When I left, I actually took time off and wanted to think through what was next because I was always a planner. Like I got into college early admission. We started VaynerMedia a few months before I graduated. So I was always the kid that kind of had what was next before I was even finishing what I was doing. And so my number one thing when I left VaynerMedia um, in May of 16 was I didn't want to know what was next. So I, I took a few months off, played a lot of golf, hung out with my wife, walked my dog, cooked, ate really healthy, worked out every day, was like in the best shape of my life, all that. And I kind of wanted to have it come naturally to me. And so the benefit that I had was um, – in addition to building VaynerMedia, Gary and I did a lot of investing uh, in early stage companies. And one of the companies that I was an early stage investor in was a sports agency. And I did that one just for fun. Um, the business economics didn't, you know, in a world where I was lucky enough to be an investor in things like Uber, Venmo, Snapchat, Coinbase, you know, a sports agency looked very different. Most of my investing was early stage tech. Um, but I did the sports agency for fun because I love sports and I love the business of sports. And then during my time away, I found myself gravitating to that business um, and the founder there, Brian. And um, it kind of dawned on me a few months into my time off that this is what I wanted to do. I thought I had a great background for it. I thought athletes were modernizing and I thought the offering we could bring could meet them there. You talked about the modernization of athletes. You also mentioned college sports earlier. Bilal, you had a question about that. Um, my biggest thing is um, the NIL, the NIL deals. Where, where do you see the NIL deals? in the future going for college sports and has it been a game changer for coaches? And we're talking, when I'm oh, talking yeah. about coaches, I'm talking about the coaches that have been dominating in previous years. Now you're starting to see, I see NIL lever it's, it's like leveling out the talent across the board now. And there's not one dominant team now. Yeah. Where do you see the NIL deals going in the future of, of college sports? So I'm actually going to answer how is NIL impacted coaches? Cause I think it's an awesome question and I've never answered that one before I've answered how's impacted the kids a hundred times. And I think the impact for kids is very, um, clear and evident and positive, uh, in most circumstances, there's some double-edged sword aspects of it, but for the coaches, and this is a little bit anecdotal, so I don't have the facts on this, but I felt as if I saw the highest number of tweets in my timeline of, the running back 
coach from the University of Y has become the running backs coach for the Broncos or the receivers coach for this university is now the receivers coach for the Giants. I saw a lot of coaches jump from college to pro. And again, that's anecdotal. Maybe that didn't go up as much as I thought, but I think I saw a lot. And I've asked a few people and they agreed. And I think a big reason for that is twofold. One, I think college coaches who worked their face off already, I think have picked up even more work because of NIL and the negotiations that are around it and the ebb and flow and the new dynamics that it can create. Um, And then more importantly, I don't envy college coaches because what I think NIL has done to the locker room has complicated it from the perspective of, Hey, I'm a like Bilal when you were at Louisville and name, give me, I remember your time there. Who's the QB then? Uh, you had my seat. I mean, I had like four or five, six. Yeah. Let me change. Similar to my Jets career. give Give me, were you the best player on your senior team, in your opinion? I think, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Who's the second best player on that team? Or third? Like, actually, I don't want to put you in that spot because I don't want to get texts from any of the homies. Give yeah. me like two or three other guys in no particular order that were really good players on the team. Well, at the time, my senior class, uh, we had three guys get drafted. So the second okay, guy. So uh, Johnny Patrick got drafted in the third round. Okay. Um, Byron Stingley got drafted in the seventh round. And okay. then we had. Ham and Graham go on and play as a free agent. Cool. How how would Johnny Patrick feel? How would the third rounder have felt October of his senior year about the seventh rounder making more money from their collective deal? It probably would have been some animosity, some exactly. jealousy. Exactly. So, and that's happening at scale because, especially at the top tier programs, the vast majority of starters are getting something from the collective. And now while the school and the coaches don't control those purse strings and they don't pay the players, the collective is still so tightly aligned from a public facing perspective that the kids feel as if that's the case anyway. And so if you're the left guard and your collective deal is for 50 grand and the right guard is getting 60 grand, but you feel like you're better. Like mm-hmm. it's just, and by the way, the right guard thinks he's better than the left guard. So he's like, yeah, I should be getting 60. And you should be getting 50 shit. I should be getting 70. And you should be getting 50. It just creates a lot of these dynamics that never existed. And so I think college coaches have picked up and, and then the transfer portal, Hey, I'm a tight end at the university of Louisville and I'm getting my 50. And I felt good about that when they gave me my 50. But then a month later I was talking to my buddy who plays tight end at, um, I don't know, plays tight end at Iowa and he's getting, actually, Iowa's a bad example because every Iowa tight end goes to the NFL, but he's playing tight end at Cal <laughs> They grow and up. he's making more than me, but I had 300 more yards last year. Why is Cal paying? Should I hit the portal? That shit's yeah. happening at scale across the nation. And so it's really, really changed college coaching. I think it's made it dramatically harder. I do think that college programs need to look more like NFL uh, as businesses in the sense that I don't think coaches should get involved at all when talking to players about their packages and their setup. I think there needs to be a front office so that like Blau, like I think it's good that if you had a problem with your contract, you were mad at Mike Tannenbaum, not, you know, not Rex, top bowl. <laughs> yeah, not top Rex bowl. right? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like that, that shit matters in my opinion. So um, I think that's, what's going to happen to college institutions. They're going to have to divide and conquer so they can have a good cop, bad cop. And I don't think the coaches should be dealing with the business side. 
But then you also have the other side of that where you see a guy like Deion Sanders who's like, hey, I will make you a star if you come here. And he's taking oh, yeah. a program that wouldn't oh, have yeah. gotten those guys. And now he's saying, you you come play under me. You're going to make this money because you're going to be a superstar. 100%. 100%. You know, the cream always rises to the top. And so, um, and anybody that wants, the good news is college coaches aren't afraid of hard work. They're already working fucking hard. So I don't think it's like that. I just think it's different. And I've, I've seen it. And it's uh, it's the wild, wild west in a lot of ways. For sure. So you talked about your your, your background a little bit, but just want to jump back to one thing. At what point, you and your brother, did you realize VaynerMedia was going to be the empire it is today? Was there a point where it felt like, oh my God, this is exploding? This is going to sound so bad. <laughs> I I was like a very... Listen, I'm very, very lucky. Um, I want to preface that because I need to hedge the terrible things <laughs> that come out of my mouth after. Like, I grew up as a white male in America... And like that almost didn't happen. Not the white part, but the America part, right? Like my parents could have never left the former Soviet Union and that shit. Like there's no Vayner Media empire without circumstance and situation, right? My dad came to this country, worked his face off and allowed me to go to good schools and, and have access to things that I needed. My mom was the most uh, unbelievable supportive mother. And so that was a huge deal. And then for me as an entrepreneur, not only did I have all that luck and privilege, but then I also happen to have an older brother who's 11 years older and was already super successful in his career before we started VaynerMedia, right? So that's my that's my preamble. The answer to your question was the second we decided to do it. Um, I, I really believe my brother and I are an unbelievable team. We spent the entirety of my senior year of college deciding which business we were going to start. We always knew we wanted to do business together. Like I said, I was brainwashed. I was always kind of... I was, you know, you get your, you know, the quarterback dad concept, like kid, uh, what was the quarterback with his dad? Uh, was it Maravich Maranovich? I forget. Um, but there was like a quarterback from the eighties or nineties. His dad was a coach kid was built in a lab. Yada, yada. He ended up being a bust. I think Tom, I forget. He was like a top five pick though. He's a big draft pick in the eighties. I was that. And my brother was that, but it was just for entrepreneurship. Like I, I was trained in entrepreneurship by my father and my dad. And so the second we decided we were going to build that business, I knew it was going to be successful. Um, now, did I think we would ever get to 1800 employees? I don't know. I didn't, I don't think I ever put a cap on it or quantified it. Um, but I got to tell you, I always had just a massive, massive confidence that would be super, super successful. Truly. So you talked about kind of being brainwashed into becoming a Jets fan and being brainwashed by your brother. Now we're a bunch of years later. This was maybe the most hyped up season, not just for the Jets, oh. but in New York football with Aaron Rodgers and every know, everyone knows what happens. Now the two football teams are combined two and six. They're the only two teams in the NFL to have not played with a lead yet this season. Oh, that's not that, that great. Uh, what's your feeling so far in this year's football season in New York? Listen, tough scene right now for the Jets and Giants. I, I genuinely believe that both teams have strong front offices and coaching staffs. So I do believe that um, it's early in the season. There's plenty of teams that start off one and three and go deep in the playoffs. I remember a great one. Uh, what, 98 was a good example. What was it? 04, 98 with Vinny stepping in and they went with the AFC championship game. I believe it was 04 when Chad Pennington or maybe 02. 02 or 04 when Chad becomes a full-time starter and gets hot, goes crazy. We do really well. 
So um, it's early for the Jets and Giants. I think both teams have had their struggles. Um, but like I said, I think both front offices, both coaching staffs, there's a lot of talent on both those teams. I got to shout out my guys. You know, we got DJ Reed and Ahmad Gardner on the Jets from Vayner Sports. Um, and then we got Leonard Williams on the Giants side. So um, those are three great players. players. Yeah, three great <laughs> Best players. Best corner duo in the league. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so – Tough start, though. No denying. And the Aaron thing was a gut punch for everybody uh, as a Jet fan. I actually felt like the whole NFL felt bad about that injury, sure. right? Like the Jets have not been good for a long time. Um, you know, Aaron has a lot of respect throughout the league. Hard knocks, like the chemistry was there. The mojo was there. Um, four plays in on national TV is a tough scene. Do you go on mod specifically as opposed to sauce? Listen, when I talk to him, it's a mod. Uh, I'm not big on, call, I don't call my brother Gary V. Uh, <laughs> I'm not big on the the, the mainstream nicknames. So um, when I, you know, before working with him, I called him Sauce, but, you know, I call him a mod. And uh, so when I'm when I'm doing this, I call him a mod too, so I can just get the practice in and not slip up. Perfect. Go ahead, Bob. Hey, honestly, uh, I, what we saw in Zach Wilson on Sunday night, if if he can play like that consistently, Honestly, AJ, I can at least see an eight, nine game winning season. And yeah. Rami and I talked about it last episode where we don't really see an AFC team right now this early that could be like, they can kick us out of the playoffs and keep us out of the playoffs. I think the AFC outside of three teams are struggling this year. And I yeah. think if we continue to play the way we played Sunday, yeah. uh, minus the little small mishaps that we had, I think we could sneak it to the playoffs with yeah. nine wins, with nine wins this year. Possible. Eight or nine I wins. Think, I think going back to the New York teams, and I think this is something that your casual football fan um, doesn't grasp right away. And I get it because when I was younger, I didn't grasp this. And it, it got really magnified getting to the business and you know watching tape and talking to scouts. Both teams suffer from the same problem when they struggle. And it's handling pressure and keeping the quarterback. You know, Daniel was sacked, what, 10 times yesterday? 11. 11. One of which, Boye Mafa, Vayner Sports. Um, and so, you know, Zach, I think if you look at that game versus his other games, um, actually, I think if you take Buffalo and Kansas City and then you take um, the losses, right, the other losses, New England, New England Dallas. and Dallas, um, Zach struggled mightily when the pass rush got there and the pass rush was getting there in New England and Dallas. And he threw the ball well in Kansas city, for example, and he made stuff happen in Buffalo. And I think same thing with the giants. If you look, I don't expect any, you know, I think Daniel's getting a lot of flack. I don't know how anybody expects any quarterback to play well, given that situation. So I think it starts up front. Football's exactly. a game with the trenches always and forever. Um, there's things you can do with coaching, et cetera, but you know, injuries play a factor, right? Andrew Thomas didn't play for the Giants. Um, for the Jets, Dwayne Brown, I think, played injured, and it looked that way. Um, so I think if the teams can get the trenches taken care of, they can be more successful, and that's for anybody. The Jets look like they're on their way with the offensive line. It's looked a lot better the last couple of weeks, and it seems like, you, like you said, Dwayne Brown was probably playing hurt and now putting, you know, uh, Becton back on the left side, ABT at the right tackle, and Tittman, who's been fantastic at the right guard, is definitely the move that I think they need to do, but Bilal, he's joined the, the dark side, I guess you will. He's on the side that's now creating the pressure, the media, right, Bilal? So uh, that's that's what we're part of now. Um, well, All I right. appreciate you, AJ, man. Yeah, of course. It.
Another yeah. Thing. Last thing before you go, because we do appreciate yeah. you doing this. Any, it's about to be Nick season. You mentioned you're a big <laughs> Knicks fan. What are your feelings on the team going forward? I know it feels like Julius has been up and down the last couple of years with the fan appreciation where they love him, they yeah. hate him, they love him, they hate him. It's it's now Jalen Brunson's team. I think there's no denying that. We're the Villanova Knicks. Uh, what are your feelings going into this season? You know, it's tricky. I want to be I want to be respectful. You know, I'm a registered basketball agent. We have a basketball practice. So I'm not going to go into players um, specifically. But what I will say is I think – the fan in me and the fan growing up, what he would want to see from this team is just make the playoffs again. I think the thing that being 36 and being a Knicks fan really from, you know, as far as I can remember, unfortunately for me, like my Knicks really good year start, like as Patrick Ewing's on the tail end, things like that. Like I remember 94, but I was seven, like it counts, but it doesn't kind of thing. Right. If you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you know, I, I did have that fun little Houston Sprewell team lockout shortened season, make the finals that Houston runner, you know, one handed runner front rim backboard drops in Miami is like one of my favorite sports moments ever. Um, I think the thing that's been missing from the Knicks for my entire career as a fan is consistent culture of winning to then have wins stack on top of each other so that like free agents actually want to come and things of that nature. And so, all I really think they need to do is make the playoffs. If they do, that's three out of the last four years, and that's two back-to-back. A lot of talent on this team. I um, I like the the chemistry and the glue with, like, the Villanova back end. I think, I think New York fans like a certain brand of basketball, and I think guys like Brunson and Hart play that brand. Um, and so I think, uh, I think that brand is also a good fit for the coach. Um, it's his brand, too. Um, it's not an accident that he was assisting with the Knicks during their heyday. Um, so yeah, I think if you're a Knicks fan, you got to be excited for this year. I think you have to you have to temper your expectations. I think there's some teams that have more talent and are in more of a win now mode. But I think the nice thing for the Knicks, as an outsider looking in, is that they could have their win now mode in a year or two. Like they could be the next up team. I, I know it's you know the Bucks and some other teams, Celtics, uh, Philly, etc., that are loaded mm-hmm. and try to take this title. But I think it's very fair to think that one to three years from now, the Knicks will have the assets, the success, the culture, and the ability to go trade for the next Dame or the next whoever. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about as a Knicks fan. I can say it. Maybe you can. Joel, let's go. <laughs> yeah, listen, it's it's Joel. Um, you know, there's been rumors, although I think the Bucks heard those rumors and are afraid of I think got Dame. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, um, here's, the, here's the punchline, though. There's always a star available. A hundred percent. Every yeah. year That's the NBA. One. Yep. That's the NBA. There's always at least one available. And I think the Knicks job is to get to the place where they can make it so that they have the assets and the culture to make that happen. Plus Donovan Mitchell is going to be a free agent right around that time. And he, he already said he's basically quick, not quick, staying in Cleveland. Quick fun story that has nothing to do with me as an agent. And I can comment on this. It's like five or six years ago, four or five, six years ago. Um, I have the good fortune of sitting courtside for a Knicks uh, game, Knicks jazz game. And, uh, I'm, unfortunately I'm sitting to this dude who's on a date and he's blitzed. He's super drunk. (laughs) And like, he knows he's a casual basketball fan. Like he understands basketball, but you know, he doesn't know all the players on the court. He doesn't understand. He's just shouting stuff. He's just excited to be courtside. He's got a a date. Like he's trying to look cool, whatever. 
So it's like third quarter, maybe late third quarter, uh, jazz ball and Donovan's inbounding the ball. Literally, I can lean over and like, you know, slap him on the ankle. He's right there. He's right in front of us. He's directly in front of the guy who's hammered next to me. And uh, I'm sorry, quick adjustment. This is late fourth quarter. This is late fourth quarter, maybe less than a minute to go. Close game, a few points. And uh, crowd's loud. I think the Knicks are making a run. Maybe we're down one. And, uh, you know, it's Donovan standing, just waiting for the ref to give him the ball because we're waiting for the commercial break to wrap up. He's going to inbound the ball in 10 seconds. And this fan has been yelling at Donovan for like 20 seconds in a row. And the last line the fan says, right as Donovan's getting ball from the ref, is like, you can't handle New York. Like, this is New York. You can't handle this. And Donovan, low-key, just grabs the ball from the ref, falls in, and just goes, man, I'm from New York, baby. No problem. And just inbounds it in. Has <laughs> won the game, of course. But, like, you know, Donovan's from Westchester. He's right here yep. from New York. So, But I got a lot of love for his game. He's a great player. Um, we'll see. A lot of great. That's players. why being like courtside is such a different experience, oh, right? Well, best best seen in sports by a country mile. Not even close. No, I, I can't even receive the debate. I, I want to uh, hear it. I can't receive it. I don't PGA think. tour being on the green at a PGA tour. I think is even because it's silent. Going to be. This is also obnoxious, but it's just real. I've had the unbelievable good fortune of being at the Masters, setting up the lawn chair right next to the green on an approach shot, and golf is my number one hobby. I had a hole in one last week, which is my greatest or two <laughs> now, like greatest sporting achievement of my life. Um, and I love it. And the masters in particular is the best because no cell phones, you feel like you're in the right. 1920s, but you just, the thing you said before we got into this is important. Um, it's a different game when you're courtside cause you can hear the players talk, like watching LeBron be a floor general is unlike anything I've ever seen before. Right? Like that dynamic is just so, so, so different. That's the key. By the way, if I could talk to to Rory or Spieth as they're lining up a twenty footer, maybe I'll I'll say it too. But, but you could yeah. hear them talking to their caddy, talking yes, to each other sometimes. True. Like that's that, that, that's cool. Like I also hear like, like cool. Tibbs yelling at the bench. Like that's so much fun. I, I remember they. I was at a game last year and the the opponent went on a run and he just yells back to the bench, George, like to come back yeah. into the game. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. It's just it's great stuff. Either way, we appreciate no you doing this. Thank you so much. Let's go, Jets. Let's uh let's get back to that. We'll have a great yep. season the rest of the appreciate way. I really that. do believe they could still have a great year. No doubt. Blau, Rami, appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you, AJ, man. All right, thank you, AJ, for that awesome interview. We had a great time with him and we appreciate you doing that. So now uh, you know, the way this works is if we have him on again, take a Page from part of my take. Now he's a recurring guest. That's how that works. So with all our guests, uh, once they're on once, we have them on again. They're part of they're part of the rotation, right? Um, but just an awesome conversation. He's big, obviously, a big Jets fan, a big Knicks fan. We got to talk about everything, NIL deals, different things, just change it up a little bit once in a while. So that was that was a fun conversation. But we move back to the Jets and on to Denver. The Jets are going to Denver this week to face the Broncos. And one of the things I'm seeing, all the experts are picking the Jets. And it's so funny to me because Zach Wilson has one game, one good game. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're we're on the Jets. Everyone's on the Jets. I saw, I think it was NFL Network, all the insiders, everyone but one person picked the Jets to win the game. And I know Denver's not very good, but the key in the NFL is consistency. That's mm-hmm. That's the thing. You can't just do it for one week. You got to do it week over week. So let's talk about this game. And I don't even think Zach is the biggest storyline because one of the ways we can help Zach be the best quarterback he can be for this team and continue the success that he had 
from a week ago or Sunday night against Kansas City is with the news we got yesterday from Robert Sala that Brees Hall is back. And what I mean by back is they're taking the handcuffs. We talked about this, the handcuffs, the training wheels, whatever it is, they're taking them off. He's no more, no longer on a snap count. This is it. Brees Hall is fully back. They're listening to the show. They took our advice. And that is huge for the Jets. A guy who had six carries last week and looked explosive finally is going to have his full allotment of carries. What can that do for this offense, Bilal? I think it could do a lot for this offense. I think when you look over, what, four games, he has about 32 carries, but he's averaging almost 6.6 yards a carry, 6.7 yards a carry. It's not rocket science. I mean, you can just tell that the guy's explosive. He's special with the ball in his hand. Uh, You know, like we talked about uh, last week, last episode is, Let's see more of him throughout consistent throughout the throughout a drive, an entire drive, not just bringing a guy in and out. Let this guy come in and get a rhythm and and see what he can do for for the offense. I think he can spark this offense. I think he can get us all the way down, not only getting us down and putting us in the red zone, but I think you leave him in the red zone, a guy that can create yards out the contact. I mean, he's what six point something. Uh, yards out the contact that's probably leading the NFL right now the guy's special uh, I'm excited to see him back and, and and see what they have planned for him when you get a comment like that from the head man that means that they're about to feed you the ball so I think Brees Hall is going to have a big game coming up yeah and he's a heavy part of the game plan obviously um, he looked explosive the one thing is he's not finishing plays. And he talked about this. He said, you know, I thought I should have scored on them when I had that long touch of what was it? A 43 yard run on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought I should have finished it. So we'll see, maybe they're seeing something in practice that now he's ready to actually have that burst and then continue the burst till the end and finish those runs. Cause that could be huge. You remember it's interesting because Denver was the place last year. We had that big 60 something yard touchdown. It's also the place where he did get hurt a year ago. So just mentally, and you can speak to this, you've had injuries in your career. What is that like going back to a place where you had that injury? What, like where something devastating happened for you and now you're fully back healthy. But what is that like going back to that place for the first time? I think this is going to be full circle for Brees Hall. This is going to be his coming out game. Finally hearing the head coach saying, hey, no more limited reps. You're full go. And it just happens to be going to Denver I think this is a full circle opportunity for Brees Hall uh, to continue to show that he's a top back. Denver Broncos are not playing good football. Actually, they they let go of a, a D lineman that they just gave a mega contract to. So I think there's a lot going on over there in the building than we know uh, with the Denver Broncos. And I think you have a, a very good football team in the New York Jets coming into Denver. I know I know the record doesn't show it, but I think this is a good football team. We finally found that niche. And it's a good opportunity for Brees Hall to continue to get going for the rest of the season. Yeah, and you mentioned that the the rooms or the building's kind of a mess. Sean Payton, earlier this summer, blamed all of it on Nathaniel Hackett, who's now the offensive coordinator of the Jets, but at the time was the Broncos head coach last year. I don't think it's all on Nate Hackett. I don't know. I'm watching this year. And Sean Payton, if you're so special, you're supposed to change the culture. How's that going for you? Because you thought you changed everything. There's a chip on their shoulder, right? Nathaniel Hackett has to be going into this game thinking, I know Rodgers is this guy and Rodgers probably wants to go out there and defend himself or defend Hackett. 
But Zach Wilson's got to feel like, hey, now this is on me. I want to go out there and stand up for my coach. And you know, Nate's going to probably be creative out there and wants to show something to Sean Payton. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think I think when you sit back and look what the Denver Broncos did, bringing in Sean Payton to, quote unquote, fix or get uh, Russell Wilson back in the right direction, and you're not seeing that. So now, to me, I'm thinking, is Sean Payton is to Drew Brees as Bill Belichick is to Tom Brady. Are they really good coaches or did they just have really good quarterbacks? And does Russell Wilson fit into what Sean Payton wants? Is he his style guy? We talked about that turnover, talking about that that head coaching job, that, that general manager comes in. Is Russell Wilson Sean Payton's guy? And I think we all thought that he was going to be the savior in Denver. And it's not happening that way. As a matter of fact, it looks like it's just as worse as it was last year. So Nathaniel Hackett has a chip on the shoulder. I get it. I understand it. But there's nothing to lose right here. There's nothing to lose. You have a young quarterback that has nothing to lose. I say, Nathaniel Hackett, go into Denver. Let it go like you did last week. And I think we come out victorious in Denver. So we all heard it. I just want to confirm. So you think Bill Belichick is a product of Tom Brady? Just confirming. I think those two work good together. I think they work really good together. I, I mean, you, you, he's struggling and he struggled without Tom Brady. It's just like Sean Payton. Those Sean are the Payton facts. Has struggled. He has struggled without Drew Brees when he was in New Orleans. You know what I mean? Like, And he still continued to struggle. I mean, Russell Wilson... Was a and I know everybody's saying, well, he he's going down. I mean, Russell Wilson has been consistent for almost ten years. You can't say that he's he's not close to being, if not being, a Hall of Fame quarterback with the things that he has done uh, in Seattle. Don't you know, uh, Sean Payton? You come in, you have a you have a quarterback that can do everything. He can make every throw. He can extend plays. He, you know what I mean? Like I don't know what he's like as a teammate. I don't know what he's like as a person. I don't know that, but I do know he can play football. So everyone that thought Sean Payton was the answer to, to uh, Russell Wilson uh, playing better football, we're not seeing it. Well, I mean, we're not seeing it. Do you think it matters what your quarterback is as a teammate, as a person? Marshawn Lynch talked this week with Shannon Sharp saying, I didn't have Russ's number. Like, we weren't friends. He was just my quarterback. Do you think that matters? I think it matters. That's why, that's why Ryan Fitzpatrick was one of my favorite quarterbacks. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick talked to everyone. He didn't just talk to a group of guys. He didn't, no matter where you came from, all this. He just had this, he had this bubbly personality and he got along with everyone, man. And, you know, from the things that I've heard about Russell Wilson is he's not that type of guy. You know what I mean? And for Sean, I mean, I'm sorry, for Marshawn Lynch to come out and say, hey, I didn't have his number. That lets you know that we were just teammates. We were nothing past that. You know what I mean? And you do not want that coming from your uh, starting quarterback, especially a guy of his caliber that that has done what he's done. Um, you know what I mean? I think it makes all the difference at, you know, the leadership. Like, can he talk to everyone? Is he is he respected by everyone? Did you ever have a quarterback that you just didn't have their number? Yeah. You had starting quarterbacks on the Jets that you just, yeah. that it just that's where it ended. They were the starting quarterback. Yeah, yeah, the right yeah back I, only, I only saw him in the locker room. I didn't see him past the locker room. And that definitely changes. I mean, it's different in the huddle, I imagine, right? Absolutely, especially if I'm picking up a 245-pound linebacker for you and, and and we can't go out and get dinner. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's I, almost one of those things. 
You know. And you know what's so interesting about that is that Zach Wilson, one of the big things we talked about at this on this last episode was where last year guys were wearing Mike F and white t-shirts and it feels like they don't have his back. This year, when you saw him on the sideline at the end of the game, you saw the guys consoling him, whether it was Thomas Morstead, the punter, or it was Cobb and Lazard or the offensive lineman. It all of a sudden feels like now there's a buy-in. Something changed. The kid took the headband off. He stopped being cocky in the media. Like all of a sudden, it feels like there was a flip in the personality of Zach Wilson. And I disagree with you. You said there's no pressure. I think there is pressure. This is a team that you're supposed to beat Denver. You have to beat the Broncos. You're better than the Broncos. Go out there and do it. You want to, it's nice. Every, sure, it's nice what you did against the Chiefs. You hung with them. You had the comeback. Zach Wilson looked great for about four drives there in the middle of the game. Go out there and win this game. Then you could prove something to me. So let's talk about it. Right now, Denver is favored by, in Vegas by one and a half points. Now, it could be that's just being home but they're favored. Everyone and their mom is picking the Jets. Here's a, as far as gambling, here's what I like. The over-under in the game is 30, 43 and a half, but Denver, their point total over-under is 22 and a half. So do you think Denver scoring 23 points against this defense? I don't. Absolutely not. So I think that's the best bet of the day is take Denver's take under that. on the points. Um, Put your life your savings on it. <laughs> exactly. My <laughs> life savings are zero, but put, what's your prediction on the Jets game? Uh, I honestly think that I think Denver will sneak out 13 points. I think we'll go in and score. We'll go in to score. We'll go in and score three touchdowns, put up two field goals. So I'm going, I'm going definitely 27, 13 New York Jets. I had a similar outcome. I don't know how I get to this point total. I know how I get to Denver. I think they score a touchdown and then have a couple of field goals because the Jets have been fantastic at stopping teams in the red zone. So I think Denver scores 16 points and then the Jets score 22 and the Jets do win this game. That's my prediction. I think for a touchdown score for the game, I'm going to go with Brees Hall. I think Brees Hall is going to score in this game. I think he's going to go back to the place where he got hurt, but where he also had his biggest touchdown run of his career. I think he goes back there and it's like you said, a full circle moment for him. They lean on him heavy and he scores a touchdown on the ground. And you added your X factor for us, and you're going the same direction. Same direction. I'm going Brees Hall, but I'm going to get a little bolder. I think Brees Hall comes in, rushes for over 100 yards, and two total touchdowns. I don't hate it. I think if they, especially like you talked about using him inside the red zone, using him inside the 10 as a power back, he could for sure score there. And we know he could score from further out. He's that home run hitter for you that, you know, one run can break it off. And if he breaks it off, he can score a touchdown. I like. I think this game is a huge game for the Jets. I think we said this every week, but when you're one in three, you don't have that many opportunities left. You have to start winning at some point. And what the big thing is, when you look at this schedule, you look at this game, even if you lose to Philly, which I think Philly's a winnable game, but even if you lose to Philly and you go into the bye week at two and four, here's the Jets schedule coming out of the bye week. I wrote it down here. They play the Giants. The Giants are not a very good football team. They play the LA Chargers, who haven't been very good this year. They're playing mm -hmm. Vegas, who's been pretty bad. Josh McDaniels hasn't proven he can coach. And by the way, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't proven that he's a starting quarterback outside of the Kyle Shanahan offense. They play Buffalo, who they've proven they can beat. I know it's in Buffalo, but they've proven they can beat them. Miami's defense looks bad, right? They just gave up 48-something points. And people forget, as many points as they scored against Denver, they also gave up a bunch of points to Denver. And Denver's offense isn't that good. You play Atlanta with... Desmond Ritter, that doesn't scare me. Houston with a rookie quarterback, and I know CJ's looks good, but he's a rookie quarterback still. Then you have Miami again, Washington, and Washington's meh. 
Same thing with Cleveland. And then New England that you should have beaten the first time. And I think they're one of the worst teams in the league. You look at that, and that's in 11 games after the bye, you can win eight of those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely can win those. And I think you and I talked about it too. Just looking at the AFC, you have three teams that you can say right now that are Super Bowl playoff teams right now. And everybody else is just falling in the pack. You're talking about one and three, two and two right now. So if yeah. we can find a way to just put together, you know, a, a, a nice run toward the end of the season, then we can find ourselves in the playoffs. Yeah, you posted on your Instagram story, the AFC standings. And it's like, there's one division that everyone's two and two. And then there's a bunch of one and threes. And then there's what a couple teams, Miami, Buffalo. Like, who scares you? Miami, but Miami, Buffalo, and Kansas City. That's who scares mm-hmm. you in the AFC and ba- right And Baltimore now. is what, three and one? So Yeah, they're three know. and one. But like you said, not the most convincing three and one. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's pretty much it. But that's why you have to win this game. Because if you want to go on a run, if you want to turn this season around, it can happen. But it starts on Sunday in Denver. It starts by going out there and playing your best game of the season. This is a team you're supposed to beat. You have to win these games. No one expected you to beat Kansas City. You hung with them. Now's the test. Everyone expects you to win. Now's when the pressure's on. Now's when you have to have your best game of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. And like I talked to you too, we always talked about the point system. We talked about division games being worth two points. Yeah. We talked about conference games being one. And then we talked about none conference games being, you know, half a point. So if we're going to lose a game and then go on a run, we can lose that Eagles game, come back from the and and I mean, you know, and then put it all together. You know what I mean? But that gives us time going into uh, Philly, all right, the bye week, going into it to find out our game plan. I will keep all the players there. I know guys be ready to go off, but it's an early, it's an early on bye week. Stay there, put together a nice game plan going into Philly. I think you can shock Philly. I think you can go compete with Philly the same way you did with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, and when you looked at the schedule before the season, you probably would have thought, okay, three and three is realistic going into the bye, um, even with Aaron Rodgers. If you told me they didn't have Aaron Rodgers and they were going to be two and four going into the bye, Rodgers is worth only one win. Yeah, I would take it. Two and four going into the bye is not the worst thing. And I'm not conceding the Philly game by any means. I still think they could win against Philly if they mm-hmm. if they win this week, but it, it starts this week. Quickly before we go, um, we have a couple of listener questions. One of them is a little bit old, so we'll get to that one. But the first one, um, a guy named Barry online reached out and he said, and well, if you sent in some questions, we'll just do two, but we'll do this every episode. We'll answer your questions. So um, we're just going to do two now and keep reaching out, keep sending emails, keep responding to Bilal online. And that way we can answer more of your questions on the episodes moving forward. We'll try and do it every Thursday. So this one, do you think when Izzy gets healthy, they'll drop Cook? No, absolutely not. They paid him too much money. But I, what I will say is they're going to keep Izzy active. They're not going to put him on a practice squad and give a, another team an opportunity to pick him up because he is he is a a hidden a hidden gene gene. Uh, I'm sorry, he's a hidden talent. You know what I mean? I think yeah. he was a steal in the draft, uh, getting him as late as they did. Uh, so I think I think they keep Dalvin Cook and they just keep they keep Izzy um, inactive. And if the season goes ugly, I think they they make him active. And they push him up to give him opportunity to see what they have in the future. So here's another question. And by the way, just as far as that point, like, yeah, they they can't cut that money. And um, Dalvin talked to Rich Semini this week saying, you know, I'm still getting used to this role. And I, I mentioned to you, I was like, getting used to this role? Like you were a guy who was a running back who every time you touched the ball, maybe you didn't have the most carries in the game, but you were effective every time you touched the ball. This is your role now. This is who you are. You haven't been good enough to be a lead running back. So 
go take advantage of the touches you're getting because this is all you're getting. Absolutely. Take advantage. Every opportunity. You know, I, I used to complain, uh, not even complain. I used to wonder why I wasn't getting carries. And then my my coach at the time, Anthony Lynn, was like, hey, man, stop worrying about carries and worry about the opportunities. The the not 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 just the carries, but the touches. So I started taking advantage of that. And you know, I was really productive throughout my career. And right now, Dalvin Cook is not being productive. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like they're force feeding them just because they pay him the money. I think right now, if you look at it from the outside in, Brees Hall's Brees Hall looked like the leading back. And and I think the organization is making a good decision right now, saying Brees Hall is no longer limited. He's our guy, he's our workhorse going forward. Okay, the last question, and this is from Thomas. And I do think this question, he he elaborated on a lot of different points that we talked about. But the main point is, do you believe in Robert Sala? And that's a question that I don't know if we can answer yet. I mean, the record says no. Personality says yes. What do you make of Robert Sala? I, th- I think he's the right guy. I absolutely do. I think he's the right guy. And um, I think... He's he's a player's coach, and I think once coach decides, I have to separate business with with my personality and and my feelings and emotions toward my players because of the person that I am. I think he'll win a lot more games. Honestly, I th- I think they'll put this all together. Um, I think you continue to go in, and you know if it doesn't work out this year, hopefully if he comes back, you just have to find a guy on the opposite side of the ball that's considered a head coach that's a good coordinator. He's a defensive guy. So he has to go out and find a guy that can be a leader on the offensive side. So all he has to do is really worry about one side of the ball while still having good assistant coaches and he can float around and really see what's going on. I think that's the biggest part of being a successful coach is having good assistants. Yep. I, I agree with you. And that's it seems like they're finally starting to put that together with Nate Hackett with uh, Jeff Ulrich and all that stuff. All right, Bilal, thanks for doing this. As always, had a good time. It was a great interview, great episode, a little bit of a longer episode. We'll be back Monday to break down everything that happens in Denver this weekend, win or lose. So until then, I'll see you, man. All right, man. Have a good one. Let's go to eat a damn snack. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.